0: Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to the Sound Medicine Podcast. I'm Barbara Lewis, and you're listening to episode number 12. You've seen the stories in the paper. A child finds a gun at home, maybe it was on a coffee table, tucked away in a drawer, but it was loaded. And when the child points it at a playmate, two lives are ruined, one from the gunshot and one from the careless treatment of deadly weapons and the anguish felt by the parents.
1: For me, it was the first time that I had to go speak to another mother and tell them that their child had died after I became a mother myself.
0: We're going to be talking about how guns pose an actual public health danger. A number of physician organizations have started in recent years to bring home the message that there are things that doctors and parents can do to reduce the risk of accidental gun deaths. But first, Dr. Stephanie Bonney. She's the mother that you just heard. She is also a trauma surgeon and assistant professor at Rutgers New Jersey Medical School. Her work, both patching up the victims of gun violence and having to talk to their parents, has made Dr. Bonnie an advocate for gun violence prevention. She's been a surgeon for almost a decade now, and I asked her how many times she's operated on a gunshot victim.
1: Uh, Several hundred.
0: And, and when you do surgery on someone who's been shot, I mean, how different is it from uh, treating other traumas like falls or, or car accidents?
1: Sometimes it's not very different. In both cases, we'll have to make decisions very quickly and take somebody very quickly to the operating room, sometimes almost immediately uh, when they arrive to the hospital, regardless of the cause. But other times with other types of trauma, Uh, it may be more orthopedic injuries or other types of injuries that can be treated in other ways where gunshot wounds, specifically when they're to the chest or the abdomen, more likely than not are going to require an operation very quickly.
0: For a lot of us, we're only familiar with gunfire and and wounds from, you know, what we see on television and and in the movies. What kind of damage do bullets or shotgun pellets actually cause inside a person? I mean, how often do your patients have long-term disability or physical changes afterwards?
1: Pretty often. The ballistics of the bullets they're very different depending on what type of injury it is. So shotguns, for example, are very different than uh, handguns um, and are a, a little bit different than rifles. Bullets both cause the damage that you know on the, along the path that they travel, but they also cause blast injury around where they travel. They may cause fractures of bones, Um, they may sever the spinal cord, which is one of the common disabilities that we see following gunshot wounds is that somebody would be paralyzed. And then there's all the damage to the organs. And then the most severe is that they hit a large blood vessel or a large organ that can't be repaired, and the patient then bleeds to death.
0: So so do surgeons have to develop some, like, firearms expertise, if you will? I mean, it sounds like... Um, you may need to know the type of gun that put your patient on the operating table.
1: It's helpful. It doesn't really change what we do because we don't know what we're going to find when we open somebody up in the operating room. So it doesn't matter what did it. We just have to fix whatever's injured. And sometimes, you know, in the case of multiple gunshot wounds, we don't have an idea or we have some vague idea of the trajectory. But if somebody has been shot multiple times, we don't know which bullet went where. So it, we just have to open up and see what we find and fix it. And there's a very system, a systematic way that we operate, uh, where we, you know, open and put a um, a lot of pads in to immediately stop the bleeding, and then go back and unpack those pads and find um, what's bleeding, and you know, try to repair it or try to stop it in some way, and then also. Um, we have to fix any injury like to the intestines, for example, if they've been ruptured or severed, we have to repair those. Um, and usually it's done in uh, conjunction with our anesthesia colleagues. and we work together because they while we're operating, they're also giving a lot of blood products and they may be giving really strong medications to keep the heart pumping or to keep the blood pressure up.
0: Wow. So when you look back in your hundreds of cases of uh, gunshot violence and, and people who ended up on your operating table, is there a, a, a case or some cases that stick out or something that just is really kind of made a profound impact on you?
1: I think the most profound impact for me or the most profound change that's happened over the last 10 years is that I myself became a mother. Um, and... For me, it was uh, the first time that I had to go speak to another mother and tell them that their child had died after I became a mother myself, and that really changed my perspective on the whole situation, on the the way that we have these conversations, and how it must feel to be uh, in that position.
0: Yeah, and so now you work on gun violence prevention, a task force with the American Medical Women's Association. Tell me a little bit about that advocacy role that that you now play.
1: Sure. So the AMWA, which is the American Medical Women's Association, um, has a number of uh, advocacy causes that they participate in, and uh, on behalf of women in medicine in in the United States and around the world. And we started this about a year ago and decided that this was something that, you know, was important to women in medicine and that uh, we wanted to be a part of. So I uh, was asked uh, by some of the leadership in AMLA if I was interested in uh, starting this up, and we kind of started from nothing. But we initially started with some uh, social media messaging and connecting with other physician groups and advocacy groups that are interested in the prevention of gun violence. And uh, now we're in the process of developing some education resources to teach about the burden of gun violence and gun violence prevention to medical students uh, so that they can more effectively speak with their patients um, and they can more effectively understand the scope of the problem. And then we also represent our organization on a national stage uh, when there is a particular advocacy initiative.
0: Okay. So when you're talking to the medical students, I'm just wondering um, and wanting to educate them, what do you want them to say to their patients?
1: So we really feel like gun violence prevention should be under the purview of the doctor-patient relationship. So just the same way that a pediatrician speaks to a parent about making sure that chemicals are locked away at home or that they have the proper car seats for their children, that we should say, you know, if you have a firearm in the house, here's how you should keep it uh, stored and keep it safe from your child to, to prevent it. You should speak with the families of the children when you are sending them to play at someone else's house to make sure that it's a safe situation and you may want to specifically ask about firearms. Um, those are all prevention type statements that uh, are currently being done for other reasons in the doctor-patient visit. And so that's one of the things that we want our medical students to adopt is to feel comfortable having that discussion.
0: Yeah, and I remember there was a real blowback um, over this issue about having doctors, pediatricians talk to um, parents.
1: Yeah, I think there's some concern that it would be seen as judgmental and and I it's, kind of amazing to me that anyone would think that their physicians are being judgmental in any way. We're really not. It's, It's not a statement about whether or not we think you should have a firearm in your house. It's just a statement of if you do, here's how you can keep your child safe.
0: Kind of the same thing as if you have chemicals, household cleaners in your house. Exactly. So the goals of this organization, I mean, do you have like clear goals of where you would judge that you've been successful or not?
1: I think it's going to be a rolling thing. I don't think we'll ever really have arrived. Uh, we're fortunate that AMLA has a presence in most medical schools around the United States in the form of student chapters, so we can uh, disseminate education materials in that way. And we've gotten a lot of excitement from the medical students. The you know younger generation really. This is a group of individuals who has been affected by gun violence uh, since they were you know children. You know Columbine was when they were toddlers. So this has been a way of life for them. Um, and now they're entering medical school, and they really care and really want to make a difference on this issue and see themselves as individuals who can make a difference.
0: So so what does it mean to approach gun violence as a, as a public health issue?
1: It's similar to the way that car safety was addressed um, in the last sort of 20 years, automobile safety and trauma as a public health issue. And we had all these people who were being hurt. Or killed in car accidents, and it really means taking a multifaceted approach, uh, and not seeing it as a single solution. That this is, these are complex issues, and that there are complex solutions, and no one thing is going to change it. The very classic public health campaign was smoking. You know, coming to the understanding and the realizing that cigarettes were related to cancer, and that you know, while this is an individual choice, we want people to understand the danger behind it. So I think that it'll be the same thing. Uh, I don't think there's a single answer to gun violence prevention. And certainly the issues that surround gun violence are just violence in general, whether it's a firearm or any other kind of violence, are multifaceted and really uh, interweave with poverty and education and mental health issues or or you know psychiatric problems and uh, there's just so much and so it needs to be addressed on all of those facets and that's really what it means to take a public health approach.
0: Yeah. So so if doctors and healthcare researchers were to play a much bigger role in, in, in gun violence and, and prevention how would it or could it change the, this national conversation?
1: There are two two things people trust and have a relationship with their physicians. So, you know, getting doctors more involved means that it's, it's part of the conversation at your, at your well visit, um, and it's part of uh, what we do, um, and it's an understanding of what we do. The second is that physicians are trained to be academicians. We are, uh, those of us who are in academic medicine uh, do research. We have the resources of medical schools behind us. Um, in terms of statistical support and uh, research support to really come to a better understanding. Of, when I talked about taking a, a multifaceted approach, we need to know what the facets are, and that's where research comes in. Um, and physicians are really well-positioned to um, to perform that research because we have contact with the victim. They're there, they're in our hospitals, we can talk to them, we can understand how it is that they got hurt. Because it's the non fatal injuries where we can come to a better understanding because we can't talk to the people who are fatal victims. So it's that non fatal violence where I feel like we can really move the needle and make a real difference.
0: So let me take you back to the um, part of our conversation when we were talking about how your. Perspective changed when you became a mother. And I was just wondering, the first time you had to go out to the waiting area and tell a mother that her son or daughter um, just died from from gun violence. What was that like?
1: Um, Well, I had an infant at home. So, I mean, I think that I was still very much, um, you know, sort of caught up in that sort of overwhelming feeling of joy that you have you know when they put that baby in your arms the first time and i remember thinking i wonder if she's thinking that about her child and remembering that now um and because it's a very and it was a very unnatural thing to as a parent to think that you witness your in child your child's entire lifespan from birth to death um that it shouldn't be that way um that you should go before them, and I remember, you know, wondering if that would be the same for me, um, if I might ever be in that position, Uh, and that was, you know, sort of very different than before, you know, it, it created a very different feeling within me than I had had before I became a parent myself.
0: Has that worn off a little bit? I'm thinking about a a surgeon with a newborn at home, and I'm thinking you're a little we're a little sleep deprived <laughs> <laughs> and and overwhelmed with joy and overwhelmed with everything that comes with being a brand new parent.
1: Sure, you know I don't think it really has actually, and I mean, just as recently as a couple of weeks ago, I've been having these conver- same conversation, you know, where I have to go out and talk to a mother, and I don't think it's really changed for me at all. I think I still feel, you know, an incredible amount of pain through the eyes of those, those parents when you, um, when you have to tell them. And I think that, uh, that is what drives, you know, a lot of the other work that I'm interested in doing is trying to say that this is not something anybody should ever have to go through.
0: That was Dr. Stephanie Bonney. She's been awarded a fellowship from the American College of Surgeons. She's going to study hospital-based violence prevention programs. And later I'm going to be speaking with a physician who is focused on bringing more evidence to discussion. Because shockingly, the politics of guns has made research into gun violence controversial.
2: We've been able to be effective in doing research in other areas like For pill bottles, we make them safer so kids can't open them. We need to do the same things for guns.
0: You're listening to The Sound Medicine Podcast.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50
0: Welcome back to the Sound Medicine Podcast. I'm Barbara Lewis. One obstacle to raising the profile of gun violence as a public health issue has been the lack of data. And there's a reason for that. A federal law that bars the CDC from funding research that might possibly be seen as advocating or promoting gun control. A group called Doctors for America is lobbying to end that ban. Dr. Nina Agrawal is a pediatrician in the Bronx who is helping lead that effort to gather more data. Welcome to Sound Medicine.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: You have a leadership role in Doctors for America's gun violence initiative. First off, can you tell us a little bit about what this organization does uh, for those of us who aren't familiar with it?
2: Sure. Uh, Doctors for America is an organization of physicians and medical students, and we advocate for the improved health of of individuals, of communities, and the country as a
0: whole. So one of the group's current initiatives is the Hashtag End the Ban campaign. So tell us a little bit about the history of this ban that you're trying to end.
2: Sure. In 1996, Representative Dickey of Arkansas was instrumental in asserting language in the House Appropriations Bill that prevented any funds to the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, that could be used to promote or advocate for gun control. And that successfully passed, and it's, it's been in, in effect since 1997. And that same year that the, this amendment went into effect, it's known as the Dickey Amendment after Representative Dickey of Arkansas, the CDC was, was defunded $2.6 million, and that was the same amount of money that they had used the previous year for gun violence research. So unfortunately, that amendment is still in place, and the CDC doesn't have funding to do gun violence research. Interestingly enough, last year, Representative Dickey expressed regrets about this amendment and advocated for restarting research.
0: So what effect has this action really had on, on limiting research on firearm injuries?
2: Right. Unfortunately, the ban, well, it's an effective ban, has had a chilling effect on the research community. Researchers are afraid of losing their jobs. They're afraid of losing funding for their agencies. The amendment was extended not only from the CDC, but also to the National Institute of Health. So it's had a ripple effect, and unfortunately, is severely limited research on gun violence prevention.
0: And that's a a distinction. You use the term effective ban, because this isn't really an all-out ban. Can you tell me a little bit about, you know, why it's called an effective ban
2: because it didn't the amendment didn't say we ban gun violence research it said that the funds cannot be used to promote or advocate for gun control so researchers interpreted doing research as would that or they thought that it could be interpreted as their research being used to advocate or promote gun control and fortunately that that's not what all research is about it's not about promoting gun control it's about promoting safety And injury prevention.
0: Yeah, And so in what areas do we need more data?
2: We need data in so many more areas. You know, we hear about these mass shootings all the time. We hear about homicides all the time. Gun violence kills more than 30,000 Americans every year. And we have little data on how we can prevent these injuries and what are the causes of these injuries. My particular interest is, is pediatrics. I'm a pediatrician. And, you know, how do we prevent youth from, from committing homicide? This is an everyday phenomenon where I work in the Bronx, where you have youth involved in gangs and substance abuse um, that are committing homicide. Another area is youth suicide. Kids in this country are 11 times higher at risk for suicide than children in other high-income countries. Guns are a common implement used to commit suicide, and how do we prevent youth from killing themselves? Another area is unintentional injuries. We often hear or too often hear of the toddler or you know a young school-age child picks up a gun, doesn't know it's loaded, kills another child or kills an adult um, or injures an adult. These things are just far too common. We need to recognize how do we keep guns safer from children. There's Uh, gun safety technology, where there's fingerprinting, where the gun can only be used by the owner. I think we need to advocate for that technology. And we've been able to be effective in doing research in other areas, like for pill bottles, we make them safer so kids can't open them. You know, we need to do the same things for guns. We've made cars Safer put airbags and, and car seats in them, so we don't take away things you know we still have pill bottles, we still have cars. we just make these things safer
0: so why can't universities and, and major medical organizations just pick up the research that the CDC can't do?
2: well I think we it, it can happen um, in that we can have uh, universities and major medical organizations do the research. It is being done, but we really need large-scale studies. We need lots of data. We need lots of evidence to show, you know, what are the risk factors and how do we prevent these these uh, injuries from happening. So, the CDC is equipped to do that, but unfortunately, its hands are tied in doing that without the funding you know, Obama had recommended $10 million in funds, that's a a lot of funding. So we need that and more.
0: Yeah, so I noticed that the CDC does provide some statistics on gun injuries and deaths on its website. And as you mentioned, President Obama issued a presidential memorandum in 2013 requiring that the Health and Human Services do research on gun violence. So where does the federal research stand now?
2: Well, unfortunately, we little research has been done. We've made little progress as a result in this area. Um, so despite Obama's memorandum, the CDC has not been appropriated the funds that it needs to do the research. And Obama had recommended $10 million, but Congress has not appropriated that money. So they've been unable to do the research. You know, if we look at an example of where we have made progress, and that's in motor vehicle accidents, because of the CDC's involvement in large-scale studies we've made, We've dramatically reduced injuries due to motor vehicle accidents, so much so that that firearm injuries are, are surpassing motor vehicle accidents at this point. So we can make progress with research. We need to do this with gun violence as it's a public health issue, just like everything else.
0: So you're a child abuse pediatrician. You work in the Bronx. What does it mean to you to see gun violence as a public health issue?
2: I see gun violence as a public health issue and that it's an everyday problem for kids here in the Bronx. You know, I often encounter kids who have lost parents or relatives to gun injuries. They kids hear gunshots in their homes. They have trouble getting home from school because of gang violence. And as a result, these kids come to medical attention because they may have mental health problems, they may have behavioral problems, they may have medical problems. I've had kids with chest pain, headaches, and this is due to anxiety over their traumatic experiences with regards to gun violence.
0: Okay, and so the solutions then look a little different through the lens of treating this as a public health issue rather than, you know, your day-to-day practice.
2: I think so. Uh, I think we need to see this as an everyday problem, and this isn't just the mass shootings that get recognition. It's important to recognize the mass shootings and that 24 people died. This This is a problem that's killing Americans every day. Almost 90 Americans are dying every day from gun violence, but we don't hear those stories, and we don't know the stories of the silent victims of thousands of kids who are experiencing it, maybe not due to direct injury, but due to exposure to gun violence.
0: Yeah. So, what role do you see healthcare providers playing in the nation's gun debate? I mean, clearly, uh, you're the ones treating injuries, um, but what else do you think healthcare providers could be doing?
2: I think that doctors need to educate families. They need to educate individuals on the risks of owning a gun and how to keep their gun safer. Doctors educate people on smoking, Um, the risk factors with smoking and that you can get cancer, the risk factors with passive complications to children. Um, We need to do the same thing with guns. The AEP or the American Academy of Pediatrics has a program called Asking Safe Kids, which encourages parents to ask if there's a gun where their child plays uh, the research shows that if you have safe storage of guns, you keep guns locked and unloaded with the ammunition in a separate place. That's been shown to reduce injuries and deaths in children. So, as doctors, just like we educate people on other uh, public health issues, I think doctors need to take the lead in educating families on the risk of guns to their children.
0: Are they reluctant to do so?
2: They are reluctant to do so because there has been a a case in Florida where doctors were sued for asking a family about gun ownership if there was a gun in their home. And because of that court case, it's had an effect on doctors around the country and afraid to talk about this issue.
0: Yeah, so given the Second Amendment, any ban on firearms really does seem unlikely. Um, and even gun control measures are, are an uphill battle, as, as you well know. Uh, so from the, Perspective of Doctors for America, what are some other measures that might reduce firearm violence while honoring the rights of law-abiding citizens? That ability to talk to families as they come in individually seems like one of those.
2: Right. Well, as far as uh, education, I think we shouldn't be afraid of counseling families on ways that they can keep their children and other individuals in the family safer. If somebody's at risk for suicide, we need to recognize that and keep guns out of the wrong hands. If somebody's at risk for domestic violence or substance abuse in the home, those are risk factors for perpetrating violence. We need to recognize that and educate families on keeping guns out of the wrong hands. I think doctors have a role in legislative advocacy on getting this effective ban removed and getting funding for research. We are educated on the science of medicine, and we need to use the same scientific approach to gun violence. I think we can't rely on theories. We need evidence-based solutions. So I think doctors have a role to play in their clinical advocacy, one-on-one with their patients, as well as legislative advocacy. So I feel like there are so many areas where we need to do research, so many areas other than mass shootings where, where people are dying, and we need to study that.
0: Well, Dr. Nina Agrawal, thank you so much for talking with me. It's been a pleasure and and best wishes to you for your success in this.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Dr. Nina Agrawal is a pediatrician in the Bronx, and she is active with Doctors for America. And we'll post links to that group and more information on our Facebook page. Just search for Sound Medicine Podcast. And that's it for this edition of the Sound Medicine Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please tell your friends. They can find us on Facebook, plus Stitcher and iTunes. If you leave a review on iTunes, it helps other people find us. The producer of Sound Medicine Podcast is Nora Hyatt with help from Eric Metcalf. Chris Lieber is our engineer, and we have support from the Indiana University School of Medicine. And we'll be back in a few weeks with another episode. In the meantime, take care.